So, John. Yes, sorry. The most embarrassing way you've ever been fired. Ooh, well, I have been fired many, many times. I'd mm-hmm. say the most. Uh... Oh, oh, by the way, John, I need to talk to you after the show. Oh, God. Oh, God, no. <laughs> 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 Over the intro, so then I have to do the, have to do the whole episode like, <laughs> through tears. everybody to Beyond the Box Set, a podcast where we pitch prequels, sequels and spin-offs to films that don't have any. I'm Harry, joining me as always is John. You complete me. So, Jerry Maguire. Yes, this was my choice. Yeah. I decided that we should do the oft-quoted 1990s Tom Cruise hit, Jerry Maguire. Mm-hmm. For no particular reason, I just thought like, it occurs to me that this is a film that is very famous, mm-hmm. very quotable. I had not ever sat down and watched it all the way through. You, as it turned out, had. Yes. And you said last week when I announced this film, you said you, you couldn't remember liking it very much. Yeah, like, it's fine. Yeah. It's it's not offensive, but it's, it's really not a film that I'm like, oh yeah, let's watch Johnny Maguire. Mm-hmm. And so how did you feel on the second viewing? Same, the same, really. Yeah. Like, I think my favourite bit was just sort of the opening scene where you just see Tom Cruise being super confident. Yes. And then after that, he's just unhappy Tom Cruise, which is not fun Tom Cruise. I was confused by what we were supposed to get out of this film. Yeah? Like, what was the point of it all? Well, first up, do you regret picking it for a choice? Or, no, or do I don't, it- because I think there's a lot to talk about with this film. There's a lot to unpack with this film. Okay, okay. I, it's a good film. I've seen it with you. Like, I can't fault it You know, in the sense that it's well written, mm-hmm. the acting is generally good, mm-hmm. it's very quotable, it does have a lot of really memorable mm-hmm. lines. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't boring. It's, it's too long. It's mm-hmm. way longer than it needs to be for the story that it tells. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I just kind of came out of it thinking, like, what's that added to my life? <laughs> you know, it had this weird, like, 90s lack of real problems. <laughs> yeah, sure. Like, okay, so this film is about three things. It's about cocaine, it's about flip phones, and it's about white privilege. Yeah. Like, even the black characters have white privilege in this film. I'm being a bit simplistic. But Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character is like, oh, I need to make my $10 million before I turn 35 and can't play the sports anymore. Oh, I'll have to get a real job and then what will I do? It's like, Very I true. can't relate to this. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is what we're supposed to be rooting for? Like, all of the characters are just like, oh, oh where was me? I don't get to be a millionaire. I really didn't understand what we were supposed to get out of it. Mm. So what's the cocaine in this then? Did I miss that? <laughs> no, 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 no. The word cocaine is never uttered in this film. Okay. But did it not seem to you like every character was just doing industrial amounts of blow? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I just thought it was weird that it never got mentioned. Like, I, I really got a big um, Wolf of Wall Street vibe to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can see that. And I kind of wish it had been that film. Yeah, it would have been much funner if it was um, Scorsese, is it? Or just like that bit darker and more gritty and more edgy. And mm. uh, but Instead, it's just this kind You're of... You're right, this film had no edge whatsoever. Yeah. It was the perfect sphere. It, it is, yeah. It's it's so like mass consumption. It's just all the rough edges are just filed down mm-hmm. to make it as palatable as possible. Mm-hmm. It's got a fun little romance. Mm-hmm. It's got a happy-go-lucky sort of wacky single mum mm-hmm. with a lovable little boy. Yeah. Lovable, question mark. Well, <laughs> someone loves him. Okay, what do you think of, uh, what was his name, Bob something? Bob? Bob Sugar. Oh, Bob um, Sugar. Tom Cruise's seems to be protege who fired him at the start. Yeah, I was confused by that dynamic because he seemed like he was younger and, yeah, and like he, more, he, less senior. Yeah, yeah, like he said, like, oh... It, well, th- think about how it is for me. I've got to fire my mentor. Yeah. Just like, what? <laughs> what why do you have to fire your mentor? And also, wh- wh- why is it you doing the firing? Why is it not the person above? I think he was given the job of telling Tom Cruise he was fired rather than him uh, okay. making the decision. Right, right. It was weird because there's a scene after Tom Cruise gets fired, mm-hmm. he goes back to the office and he says, there's a thing called manners and there's things about how you treat people mm-hmm. and that people who've built this company from the ground up. And he looks up and kind of a nameless middle-aged man kind of looks down at him and kind of then turns away and walks back. And I was like, so is that like the CEO? Is he mm. the vi- real villain? But he never gets any lines. It's all no. Jay Moore, Bob Sugar. Yeah. I mean, the first thing that really sort of stuck out to me was when he wrote that, what did he call it? Mission statement. Mission statement, yeah. yeah. Which involved the words less clients, less money. Yeah. And then pitch that as though that's a business proposal. Like, 
How is that a business proposal? Uh-huh. A business exists to make money. Mm-hmm. That's every business's primary goal. So we can carry on doing the things it loves, but without money, it's just going to die. Yeah. So what? <laughs> what's he I'm thinking there? guessing that's why they fired him. Well, yeah, I'm yeah. sure. But yeah, I mean, this is the thing. And this is when I first thought, okay, so everyone in this film, specifically Tom Cruise in this film, is crazy. Just, is just on cocaine. Because yeah. sitting up all night writing a 25-page mission statement... <laughs> is absolutely the kind of thing like a cocaine addict would do. Mm. You know, just like, I've taken a huge amount of blow and I'm just having this creative spirit. I'm just going to write all of this shit down and then I'm going to print out 100 copies and hand them out that night and never proofread it. And yeah. Yeah, that was my first red flag. I had so much to say and no one to listen. And then it happened. It was the oddest, most unexpected thing. I began writing what they call a mission statement. Not a memo, a mission statement. You know, a suggestion for the future of our company. A night like this doesn't come along very often. I seized it. What started out as one page became 25. So basically this film starts with Tom Cruise as a... He's he's like a top sports agent. Mm -hmm. And he's got all these clients. But he has this crisis of conscience because he feels like he's not a good person, he's not contributing anything to the world, he doesn't He doesn't like the person that he sees. Mm-hmm. Am I just another shark in a suit, I think he says. Because a lot of the players, one of them gets arrested, one of them is really rude to a little kid, one of them gets his fourth concussion, <laughs> yeah. and then his weirdly mature son says, shouldn't someone have stopped him by now? Like, yeah. <laughs> he's feeling really bad one day, he's very sweaty at this point in the film. He's like lying in bed just sweating, which again I thought, okay, you're on drugs. Mm-hmm. And then he gets up in the middle of the night and he, in a frenzy he writes this 25-page memo slash mission statement. Have you ever written anything in the middle of the night? I don't do cocaine, so no. Yes, yeah, so he writes this memo and mm. distributes it among his the agency and shortly after that he gets fired. But there's one person who believes in him, mm-hmm. which is Renee Zellweger. Mm-hmm. Because he was nice to her and her kid at the airport. Have you seen her IMDb picture? Yeah, it's a different person. What is going on there? <laughs> Did she hire somebody? <laughs> <laughs> yes, a plastic surgeon. <laughs> yeah, she has a whole different face now. Yeah. It's it, it's alarming. Mm-hmm. I will say, Renee Zellweger is somebody who I think is... I'm inclined to make fun of. I'm inclined to think, oh, you're, you are ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I did find her very charming in this. She was fine. She just felt like American Bridget Jones. Well, yeah, that's what she is. Yeah. yeah, but I don't know. I mean, the character wasn't very well written, but I think she made it as as likable as you could possibly make that character, or mm. as as lovable, as believable. Because I thought she got some of the worst dialogue in the film. Yeah, well, I think that's something that I've heard at least that Tom Cruise is good at. Mm. He's good at just really bringing the best out of everybody that, that well, he's, by comparison that, that he's around. Well, maybe. <laughs> I mean, he's not bad in this either. No, he's not. He's 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 good. Yeah. No, I think he just generally brings out the good side of people and. Generally, when someone's on screen with him, they're doing a good job. She was very good because her character was written really poorly. Because I didn't understand why she would buy into this. Incredibly massive risk. Yeah. Because the thing is, she, she read the mission statement and was, was inspired by it. Yeah. She's like, okay, this is a guy with his head screwed on. Even but though, like... It's not. No. Like, she, she has to, like, make this kind of dialogue work. Where she at the, In the airport scene, she's like, oh, I read your memo. And it's like, all that stuff about being nice to each other? That's revolutionary, man. It's like, like... I didn't get the impression that she'd been at that job for a long time. No. So she probably hadn't had that bad a time yet. And it looks like a good job in a company that seems to be doing well. She's probably mm. paid an all right amount. Yeah. And does a lot of room for growth in that mm. job. Yeah. Like, she could just take Tom Cruise's role. I mean, she couldn't right now, but like... She could work her way up. Exactly, sure. yeah. And she's a single mum. She has a kid to look after. Yeah. <laughs> like, she can't just leave her job. Apparently she can. Biggest risk that yeah. anybody's ever taken. Yeah, that's it. On the list of the stupidest things that people did in this movie. It's definitely way up there, yeah. Yeah. So basically, yeah, she... And there's re- a lot of those things. There's a lot of stupid decisions which we'll cover. But yeah, so she reads this 25-page cocaine rant that she decides is <laughs> super inspiring, has a little meet-cute with him at the airport, and then when he gets fired unceremoniously, he says, who's coming with me? And it's very embarrassing. Nobody responds, not even his own secretary, who's like, who makes the good point. Look, I've got two years and this place has got a really good dental plan. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you do you. Yeah. But then she's <laughs> yeah. like, but then Renee Zellweger's like, I shall go with you. And it's like, no, what? No, why? No, no dental for you. No den- yeah, exactly. You need that dental plan. That little kid looks like this <laughs> could fall out any minute. Right? <laughs> it did make me think that her character could very easily be the kind of person who would maybe like be seduced by a cult. 
<laughs> you know, see, she seems very suggestive. Very well you know what I mean? Like she's so going to end up in probably in the Church of Scientology or something. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, some motivational speaker says all the right things to her, and she's like, "Take my family, take my money, I will go with you." Yep. She really seemed like one of those. Yeah. <laughs> but it's okay though because she can quit a job because she, she can always go to that job in San Diego. <laughs> that unspoken job in San Diego that's just indefinitely been held up for her for some reason. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever says what it is. Nope. What it pays. What she does. Who's holding it up for her? Who's holding it for her? We don't know. What about medical? Of course, medical. You are a single mother. You have given up the right to be frivolous. If you had read what he wrote, you would have left with him too. And and I can always take that job in San Diego. Do you know how much those well child exams cost? Of course I know. $150. Yes, that's right. And that's just when he's well. Yeah, so Tom Cruise loses his job and Renee Zellweger goes with him. He manages to grab just one client. Well, two at first. There's Cuba Gooding Jr., mm. who is the third main character in this film, I guess. And then there's Jerry O'Connell, who mm. is the, playing like this young, dumb, white football player. Who, mm-hmm. But he he actually kind of betrays... Oh, his dad, played by Bo Bridges, who's also his manager, betrays him, doesn't he? Yeah. He kind of signs with Bob Sugar. The guy even, though, even though he said he wouldn't, and his word is... It, 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 solid as oak yeah solid yeah like, Tom Cruise why are you taking someone's word yeah like this is your life mm-hmm. this is your entire career resting on this just get him to sign a contract just explain that well that's because he's a Jesus figure oh, yeah. he's the Jesus of the sports entertainment world I don't know mm-hmm. what did you think of Cuba Gooding Jr he was uh, he was good in this yeah I mean like you say his character wasn't the most relatable no <laughs> Um, well, none of them were. Like, it wasn't just him. Like, all of them were like... If anyone had any kind of relatability, it was Renee Zellweger. And even yeah. that was like... Not she was t- making too many poor decisions for me to really be on board with it. Like, yeah. He was good fun. I mean, I enjoyed the show me the money scene. <laughs> Thoughts? I knew the line. I knew the line, but I didn't realise how weird that scene actually was. Yeah. Again, it was so coked up. But it was also like... It felt like they were having really like aggressive phone sex. Like, I felt like... Cuba Gooding Jr. should have been masturbating in that scene. They're just screaming at each other, like, mm-hmm. who's getting me the money? Who's getting me the Do you love the black people? I love the black people. Like, it's, it's, insa- it's insanity. You know? like, <laughs> yeah, it really is. He's actually sat in his office screaming, I love black people, whilst, like, dripping with sweat. I mean, Zellweg is, like, staring over a computer, like, that's the one to follow. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's the guy. I'm throwing it all in with this guy. <laughs> Show me the money! That's it, brother, but you got to yell that shit! Show me the money! I need to feel you, Jerry! Show me the money! Jerry, you better yell! Show me the money! Show me the money! Do you love this black man? At first, like, Cuba Gooding Jr. comes in at an 11. Like, he's so loud. And I was like, oh, God, I don't think I can take this for two hours. But then, to be fair, he kind of brings it down a notch. Mm -hmm. I I think he's probably the best part of the film. Yeah. Yeah. He gets a lot of really good lines. Yes, he does. The Quan. (laughs) What is the Quan? (laughs) So, at the beginning of the film, Tom Cruise is also in a relationship with Kelly Preston. So he's engaged. We found out he's engaged. We don't see who he's engaged to. Mm-hmm. Then he kind of meet cutes with Renee Zellweger. He's like really nice to a little kid. And then he walks away and then she says to her son, she's like, boy, whoever snagged that man must be a real classy dame. That's the point. He's engaged for like two thirds of the movie, isn't he? Yeah. Like I barely realised. Yeah. Like, well, she's in like two scenes. <laughs> and it's just, it's just not a plot point. No. And, until there's like this, this weird sort of breakup that mm. I didn't really get. Wait, is that a breakup? Did that happen? Mm-hmm. And then... Suddenly, oh, he's available. Right, well, I guess Renee Zellweger's in. Yeah. Um, I guess it's to give them a slight romantic hurdle to jump over, even though it like, it's dealt with really quickly. Mm. But yeah, I felt like this film had a really weird attitude towards women. Go on. It's a very 90s thing, I think. Like, basically, so Renee Zellweger says, you know, whoever's with that guy must be a real classy date. And they're like shot, it like hard cuts to this ridiculous sex scene where he's basically flinging her around like it's caber tossing or something. <laughs> and, then, and then she says this really weird line. She says, um... Open your eyes. If you ever want me to be with another woman for you, I would do it. I'm not interested in it. There was a time, yes, it felt normal for me, but it was a phase, a college thing, like torn Levi's or law school for you. Want anything from the kitchen? I'm going to get some fruit. 
Yeah, so I think it, it creates this very 90s, like, point of contrast between Renee Zellweger, who just is very nice and wholesome and, you know, has a son, you know, she's, she's responsible. She wears a lot of conservative blouses and knitwear mm-hmm. versus Kelly Preston, who's just an sexually aggressive slut. And we're supposed to not like this character because she might be a little bit bisexual and she's she's driven. So, yeah, I just thought it was a weird, it was a very, very 90s thing to do. Isn't it good that we've got so many... Great independent women in this film. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> one who's like you complete me, and uh, <laughs> and one. And then the only other women in the film are all like ex-wives, yeah. just complaining about husbands. That's sure. literally their character arc. <laughs> well, we're missing actually, possibly my favorite character in the film, which is Cuba Gooding Jr.'s wife. Oh yes, played by go. Regina Fox, yeah. who's who is modeling some heavy, heavy wigs. <laughs> <laughs> like wig watch is back in force for this week's episode because. <laughs> She has some rough wigs. <laughs> yeah, I noticed them too. I thought you'd pick on him. Oh, yeah. Him. So he's engaged to Kelly Preston and they're out to get married and he goes to like a stag party in his office. Yeah. I think it's like a work stag party. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, but then, so he then... Because in forced... America, do they have work parties just in the office? Like, it seems... Like with the computers and the printers and stuff. So it seems, yeah. In all these films, they certainly do. How is that a good idea? I don't know. Well, you know not... all the photocopiers are going to get abused. Totally, yeah. Well, in this film, it's not a good idea. Somebody has made him his best man. Mm-hmm. Has made him this very bizarre video that you mentioned earlier, where all of his, it's basically all of his ex-girlfriends being interviewed on camera, <laughs> giving him this weird, like, psychological evaluation. That's horrible. It's really, yeah. It's like, oh, he's a liar. And, oh, he should definitely get married because he's terrified of being alone. He can't possibly be alone. Yeah. Everyone loves him, but he's incapable of true intimacy. Like all these really judgmental, horrible things. And you yeah. think, did anyone like review this video? I'm like, you know, this is guys. This is it seemed funny at the time, but this is reading pretty sad. Yeah, like, this is going to be a real downer. Because also, when they must have watched that through to edit it, yeah. they would probably be sober at that point, or at least yeah. a bit sober and not on the high of a stag party. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're, you're right. Who put that together? That's, that's... Also, where did they interview all those women? I don't know. They, all, they were all standing in front of weird, garishly primary-coloured wallpaper. Mm-hmm. And they, they all looked like they were doing like weird softcore porn. <laughs> and then the girlfriend's in it in this weird like dominatrix gear, like taking a blowtorch to his little black butt. Yeah. It was just, it was just bizarre. <laughs> he was no slouch in <laughs> this bed. This is the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. You guys are crazy. So I'll see you later. it's probably a good idea that Jerry get married. He won't be alone. He cannot be alone. He, he can't be alone. He's almost phobic. I mean, Jerry is great at friendship. He's just really bad at intimacy. He can't be He's alone. Gotta be he can't be alone. Be alone. He can't be alone. He can't say I love him. Are you listening, Jerry? Lies, lies, lies. He's an agent. I he lies. I love you too. Hey. So he loses his job. He sets up this agency. He then breaks up with Kelly Preston, mm-hmm. who punches him in the face. So then he gets very sad. He puts on his sunglasses of despair. And then he goes to... He, he turns up at Renee Zellweger's house, mm-hmm. drunk, mm-hmm. where she's staying with her sister and a coven of witches. <laughs> <laughs> Who were those women? Who I, were those women? I don't know, but I did appreciate their outfits. Yes, yeah. They were, they were, they were wearing some real, like, crazy beat poets, like, yeah. outfits. <laughs> Lots of berets and glasses on chains. And Who still wears a beret? In, you know, 1996. Bitter, divorced, middle-aged women. Was that the fashion at the time? Apparently so. I can't remember. (laughs) There's a reason that woman's divorced. (laughs) So he turns up drunk at her house, and then she's like, oh, I'll go get you a beer. And then she leaves him for like an hour Mm -hmm. while she goes into the kitchen and talks to her sister. Mm -hmm. And then Jonathan Litnicki, the cute little kid, comes down. And what? So what did you think of the kid? Uh, As kids go on film and TV, I'd... uh... I'd rate him a six out of ten. A six? Yeah. On what? what, are the, what, are the, what are Zero the... being like the most annoying thing in the world, ten being just fine. Okay, sure. T- ten being passable. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting system. <laughs> sure. um, yeah, so he's a six on that. Like, he's he's a bit annoying, but not overly annoying. Yeah. you got some worse ones. Who's worse? I don't know. I don't remember child actors. No, okay. I also... The... The kids in Hook. 
Okay, yeah. Fuck those kids. Okay, you're right. They're, they're definitely at zero. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Like, there's a reason this is, like, an iconic character, because, mm. yeah, he, he has some quite sweet lines. Was he Stuart Little as well? He was Stuart Little, yes. Wait a minute, Stuart Little's the mouse, though, isn't it? Yeah, he's the boy in yeah. Stuart Little movies, though. <laughs> yes, I know what you mean. Mm. He is, like, the ultimate, like, overly cutesy 90s kid, though. Was he ever the Milky Bar kid? He looks like he could have been. Mm. I don't know if he ever was. Okay. But that's definitely, yeah, a vibe mm-hmm. he gives off. Uh, so then Tom Cruise kind of bonds with him mm. in the hours that he's left alone in this strange woman's living room while she's out spilling spaghetti all over her blouse. <laughs> <laughs> Which I did appreciate as a piece of physical comedy. I didn't find it funny. I just like, oh, that's happened. I wasn't like busting a gut, but I found it vaguely entertaining. <laughs> I'm now just picturing you physically busting a gut and like, getting taken into hospital and having <laughs> surgery. And it's all for that joke. <laughs> like, like my spleen explodes or something. <laughs> yeah. like. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to say this. You have always been very responsible with Ray, and I think it's right for him to wake up and hear some strange man's voice in the house. Some drunken... Oh, as opposed to ten angry women? Lean forward. Okay, I've got it. Still edible. Change your shirt. Everything's fine. But yeah, anyway, they end up going on a date together, and they connect. Like They seem to have a little falling-in-love moment. Mm Mm-hmm. Then they have a very weird love scene on her front porch. Yeah, they do. So it's, it's like he loses control and starts undressing her. Mm. And then suddenly realises that they're just on the porch. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. It was like, I was like screaming, go indoors. Yeah. Just go indoors. It's, it read as a lot creepier. Than, I think it was meant to read romantic. It just for me read really creepy because Tom mm. Cruise is doing his creepy, like, aroused. Does he things? go down on her? Yeah, that's what I thought. It's like, because he... Because, like, he, he, he goes physically down off screen yeah. where's he going to well that's yeah he like pulls her bra straps off doesn't he yeah then he kisses her yeah and then yeah and then he goes down but i don't think he actually like does the deed because then a few minutes later they go inside but yeah, it's very much implied that that's the way things are heading and it's like fine but go indoors like you're literally at the front door yeah like, <laughs> you're so think, close you think she'd be like you know neighbors like mm. yeah Odd scene. Maybe she wants them to see maybe, yeah maybe she's just a huge exhibitionist that would make a lot of sense yeah. maybe that helps her perform I think you should not come in. Or come in. Depending on how you feel. Same to you. No. I have to go in. I live here. But they go inside where the kid has been is being watched by Chad the nanny. <laughs> Who is Chad the nanny? You're asking that like I should know. But no, I'm genuinely curious. Like, who is his character supposed to be? I don't know. I suppose, like, because she's in her sister's house. That's a very good point. Her John. sister is there. Very good point. It just seems like she's a single mother struggling to make ends meet. If there's another adult in the house, does she really need to splash out for an au pair? <laughs> like, especially some weird, like, middle-aged man who's, like, some weird, like, Ryan Reynolds jazz freak. Right? <laughs> mean Ryan Gosling? Ryan Gosling, jazz freak. Thank Lovely. You. Yes, he was something else. I mean, he, he was in keeping with the film, let's be honest. He wasn't the craziest thing in the film. No, 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 sure. And he was nowhere near the least crazy thing. So he was slap bang in the middle of the Yeah, it felt like they created a lot a lot of like quirky characters for mm. the sake of having quirky characters without actually having a lot of logic in terms of who they were or what they added to the story. Yeah. I feel like it would have made more sense if he was like her ex. Like, he's the father of the kid. Mm, yeah, yeah like, that would make more sense. That would have made way more sense. And then they're not so they're not together anymore, but they get on all right, and then mm-hmm. it's fine. And then that would have made the scene where then he goes outside to Tom Cruise and says, and Tom Cruise is like, yeah, I'm going to bang her now. <laughs> That's basically what he says. Yeah. And then he's like, cool, let's make a listen to this. And he hands out like this jazz cassette, this Miles Davis jazz cassette or something. Mm. If he's her ex, that, that scene would have, it would have made more sense. It would have been like funny and still weird, but you know, it would have made a little bit more sense. Whereas instead it's just like, who is this guy? Mm. Why are they so invested in the music they play while having sex? Like, yeah. it, what is his relationship to the rest of this cast? And why is he here when there's no reason for him to be there? I don't know. So He just loves the kid? Yeah, but... So what end? Maybe he is just the secret dad. But the dad's dead. We know, is he? We, we're uh, told the dad died, right? And he wasn't a nice man. So. Maybe he's just dead to her. Oh, uh, okay. But, but still living in the house. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Okay, whatever. Jet, how are you? Treat her right. Yeah, she's uh, 
She's great. And, uh, I know this might be a little bit awkward, but, uh, I want you to use this. Oh, look, God. Chad? Uh, no, 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 no. This is Miles Davis and John Coltrane. Stockholm, 1963. Two masters of freedom playing at a time before their art was corrupted by a zillion cocktail lounge performers who destroyed the legacy of the only American art form, jazz. So it's at this point that the time frame of the film just becomes completely insane to me. Mm-hmm. So all of this that's happened so far has happened over the course of like a few weeks. I think so, yeah. Yeah. And you can tell because Regina King and her wigs are pregnant in the very first scene when we see her, mm-hmm. which is before he gets fired. Mm-hmm. And she's still pregnant pretty much up, right up to the end of the film. Mm. So they go on this date, you know, they have sex. Then she decides she is going to move to San Diego for that job. Mm-hmm. Mm. But then he's kind of having a conversation with Cuba Gooding Jr. Mm-hmm. And Cuba Gooding Jr. accuses him of, do you remember the line he used? No. Shoplifting the pooty. <laughs> Great. What a beautiful, beautiful line. Yeah. <laughs> and somehow that convinces Tom Cruise that he should do the honourable thing and ask her to marry him because mm. they had sex once. Mm-hmm. I feel like this film is very conservative. No. It's got a lot of really, like, conservative values to it, right? Yeah, it definitely does. Yeah. Um, so he asks her to marry him. She says yes. And they get married the following day? Yes, they do seem to. Because Regina King is still pregnant and is mm-hmm. no more pregnant than she was before. Mm-hmm. And they get married that day. And then the day after, they break up again? Yes. Yes, they do. The whole thing's really weird. It's insanity. Mm-hmm. Which, again, it was another reason I thought all of these people are just taking lots of cocaine. They're just making really fast decisions all the time. Like. Well, then we get the whole sort of end scene of Cuba Gooding Jr. not doing so well in the big game. Mm-hmm. The whole family watching it. And, well, it's kind of got confusing to me. So, at the end, like, he, he scores this amazing touchdown. Yes. And, in the process, knocks himself out. Yes. And everybody really panicking. Mm-hmm. So... That all happens, I guess, and Cuba Gunner Jr. is down and out and, you know, maybe quite damaged. But then he wakes up and, oh, we thought he was bad, but now he's fine. And this is going to make him really famous and so everyone's happily ever after. He may have just had, like, quite a serious neck injury. Yeah. And so what does he do? He gets up and he jumps about and celebrates, including doing a handstand. Yes. While spinning. Yeah. In the meantime, all the paramedics are just... Like, they're still fainting around him. Yeah, I thought this was really weird because in the very first few scenes of the film, mm. we have this thing with Tom Cruise that one of the things that makes him realise he doesn't like himself very much is that there's a football player or a sportsman mm. who gets, he's like, oh, I'm on my fourth concussion. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, it's all, he'll be back on the pitch any day now, it's mm. fine. And the son's like, fuck you, man, fuck you. Like, he's not, got, he's not concerned with the person's actual well-being. Yeah, yeah. And then the film ends with Cuba Gooding Jr. basically doing the exact same thing. Oh, yeah. Like, basically taking his own health massively at risk just to do this silly stunt that makes people fall in love with him. And everyone's like, oh, he's great. And mm. that's how the film is basically solved for his character arc. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I thought it was a very weird message they had there. Yeah, it was. But like, an injury like that, like, it could have been. Mm. Like, you, you could have an injury where you just think that you've hurt your neck, yeah. but actually you've pretty much broken your neck and just yeah. the pain's not really there. And it can last like that for days. Mm. And then you just have a smaller injury. This literally happened to a friend of mine mm-hmm. who I think fell downstairs, thought he was fine. And then like a few days later or something, he just tripped over and he's paralyzed from the neck down. Fuck. Like that can happen. Yeah. So you shouldn't just be like dancing straight mm. away after an injury like that. So yeah, that, uh, that that made me panic a little bit. Definitely. And what we're supposed to take from this, I think, is that Tom Cruise says to him early on, you know, it can't all be about the money for you. You've got to really love the game. And the reason people don't love you is because you don't love the game. You're mm. always moaning about what you feel entitled to. Mm. And so I guess when he expresses real joy and enthusiasm, everyone's like, oh, we love this guy, yay. Mm. But Cuba Gooding Jr. says early on, and this is one of the few times that the film feels like it does actually like talk about race a little bit in this film. He kind of says, I'm not going to dance for you. 
Yeah, I'm not going to dance for your pleasure. And then what does he do at the end of the film that gets him his money? He literally dances for them <laughs> in a yep. in a way in a in a medium that may kill him or leave him paralyzed. Yeah, like, it's great. Like, what, that's what, I mean. what is the message of this film? I don't. What know. is anyone's character arc? What are we supposed I, to take away from this? I don't know. But my main disappointment with this whole ridiculous, crazy film, sure, is that it didn't end. Not even the post-credit scene mm. of like Tom Cruise standing next to like a pile of money, yeah, and then just saying to Cuba Gooding Jr., "There it is." Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's all it needed to do. Yeah. <laughs> that would have won the film back for me, absolutely. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, but yes. And that's my sequel idea done. Oh, great. Cool. Short one this week. <laughs> <laughs> so, Cuba Gooding Jr. does that. The crowd falls in love with him. And this inspires Tom Cruise somehow to then run back to Renee Zellweger, give her this whole big speech about how he wants his wife back, about how you complete me. Mm-hmm. And then she says the other famous line from the film, you had me at hello. <laughs> And and they reconcile and get back together and it's just a big happy ever after even though nobody seems to have resolved any of their actual problems (laughs) No, they don't, do they? We live in a cynical world A cynical world And we work in a business of tough competitors I love you You Just just shut up. You had me at hello. Okay. Uh, before we go on to Patreon and drinking games, one other thing actually, a fun little Tom Cruise's crazy story. I, I love a good Tom Cruise's crazy story. Mm-hmm. So I was doing some research on this film and there was an actor called Artie Lang who got cut from this film. He had a very small role in this film that ended up, ended up getting cut. But he wrote about the experience in a book that he wrote and he said that apparently Tom Cruise has a, on this film at least, he insisted on working himself up to a level of intensity before he was on camera mm. so that he would be giving a really energetic performance because the character's really energetic. So every time he was about to do a scene, before he like walked into the scene, he would be stood just off camera, jumping rope, just like skipping. All right. With, and two stage people, two, two like hired hands, would have to be like holding with ends of the rope and just be like... Oh, so wait, he's not actually holding the rope. He's not like doing it like a boxer. No, no, it's... He's doing it like an eight-year-old schoolgirl. Yeah, basically. Great. <laughs> And yeah. this guy was like, it was super distracting because I was trying to do my scene and just in the corner of my eye, Tom Cruise is just like skipping like a crazy person. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know if it's true. I hope it is, but I can well imagine it. Like, it yeah. seems like a very Tom Cruise thing to do. I hope he was like singing a little song while he was yeah. doing it. <laughs> two plus two is four is six. I don't know. What, what are those songs people do? Maybe he had Renee Zellweger in there with him and they're like... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Playing, do the, that was it. Playing yeah. patty cake or yeah. something. <laughs> anyway, so that was bizarre. Uh, should we do some drinking games? Better add. Better yeah. add. Okay, so my first one. Uh, drink any time Laurel gives advice. Who's Laurel? Big sister. Oh, yes. Um, Bonnie Hunt. Mm. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Happens a lot through the film. Yeah, she's very... It's pretty much her whole character. She's very much a know-it-all, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Drink every time Renee stares intensely over an item of furniture. Sure. Like in the plane, for example, when she first sees Tom Cruise, she's in like business class and he's in first class. And... Mm. She somehow, she must have the ears of a bat because he's like way up in first class having a quiet conversation with the, the woman sat next to him about his engagement. Mm. And she's like, what, seven or eight rows and a curtain and some doors back. Mm-hmm. And she's just like really creepily, like just staring over the chair, like so engrossed in the story. And then again, there's another scene in the office where she's watching him. For some reason, the way they, they would cut it, they'd have to tell like, she's always staring over like a monitor or something, just like, yeah. mm, like a wombat. It's crazy. <laughs> So, yeah, just every time she does that. Maybe their makeup budget wasn't very high, so yes. they just only the top half of her face. Yeah. <laughs> Drink any time Laurel's advice is ignored. Okay, I'm spotting a theme here. Yep. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, she's completely ignored for the whole film. She's useless yeah. in the whole film. Mm-hmm. I have a Laurel-related one, actually. Mm. Drink for terrible 90s hair. Sure. There's, There's so a much fair amount of that. Yeah. So she's got this weird... The sister Bonnie Hunt... She's got a few weird looks, but... In her first scene, she's got like this really like long, almost like horse-like hair, like going like right down past her shoulders. Mm-hmm. Then she's got one really chunky plait. <laughs> when do you ever see anyone with that hairstyle? In 1996. Maybe it was the thing, yeah. Yeah. Tom Cruise's hair is so greasy. Well, that's Tom Cruise's hair for you. It is, but even it's, like, it's different in every film. That's the rule. Yeah. But in this one, it, he looks like David Schwimmer like in the mid- middle series of Seasons of Friends. It is just like slicked back. Mm. And I know it's like the sports agent is the character. Mm-hmm. 
And there's also, we didn't mention that uh, Donald Logue is in this film. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's a very, very small part. Pretty much an extra. I'm getting, yeah. This is before he was Donald Logue, I guess. He was yeah. just some working, jobbing actor. But he's got crazy hair as well. He's got, like, super, like, leonine, like, really combed back, like, mm. big. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was good. Yeah, so yeah, there's some really good 90s. And Renee Zellweger just looks like it has that weird 90s, almost like Japanese looking, like, not doesn't have chopsticks in it, but looks like it could kind of mm-hmm, hair. I don't mm-hmm. know how you describe that hair, but... Mm, I don't know what yeah. you mean. Mm. Uh, my next one, drink whenever you say, wait, this is where that's from. Oh, you mean like the quotes and the references? Essentially, so. I drink for quotes. Yeah. Pretty much. It, it is one of the most, like, yeah. So there's, show me the money, you had me at hello, you complete me, mm. help me help you. That was another big mm-hmm. one. Uh, yeah, it's a very quotable film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Drink whenever Tom Cruise randomly either works out or takes his shirt off. Sure. Yeah, there's yeah. a he's randomly topless, or if he's not randomly topless, he'll be like in the middle of a scene and he'll just randomly like, do a headstand or something. He'll just be like, oh, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing myself, so I'm just, I'm just going to like bench press something. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, he just seems so hyped up. Yes, um, yeah, he does. Yeah. Drink any time, Bob Sugar, I forget the actor's name. Jay Moore. Jay, uh, has that stupid smug face on, mm-hmm. which is pretty much... His part in everything. Well, he was cast for, for as a stupid smug face, yeah. Yeah. I bet that was his character description. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. on the script, like, Bob Sugar. Stupid smug face. Yeah. I haven't seen you since we were with that stripper in Laguna Beach. You remember her name? No. I do. It was April. That's my job. To remember the names of skanks that you bang on the road. That's what I do. It's not about the money. I do it all for you. Drink whenever Regina Fox flips a wig. Okay. She has at least four or five dramatically different, equally heavy hairstyles in this film, which mm-hmm. I appreciated. Mm-hmm. Drink whenever Tom Cruise puts on the shades of despair. Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> Fucking hell. Every time he's in a bad mood, those shades go straight on. Oh, I meant to write that one down. Drink for sunglasses. Mm-hmm. In fact, yeah, drink Yeah, drink for not just sunglasses, just glasses of any kind. This mm-hmm. film was crazy for sunglasses. It was. Everyone had them. Mm. And no one had anything that looked normal. Always indoors, too. Yes! <laughs> what was with that? No one wore them outside, ever. Yeah. <laughs> like, on a plane. Mm. Why? Mm. <laughs> All done? All done, yeah. Um, cool. Well, I guess that means we talk about Patreon now, We do we? now talk about Patreon, as oh. is the tradition. Okay, so we're on patreon.com slash set. And if you have enjoyed the show and you'd like to support it to help us keep the lights on and, well, keep the show cost-neutral then you can donate as much or as little as you want. And for no matter how much you donate, it's the same for everything, we give you a few bonus things, such as a show called Beyond Beyond the Box Set, where we review cinema releases. Mm-hmm. And with that, once a month, patrons can choose their own, uh, can choose a film for us to do, to review, which doesn't need to be in a cinema right now. So, you know, we did Paddington a few weeks ago. Yeah. And uh, what else can patrons choose? So if you become a patron, you can also choose uh, an episode for the main show. Yes. You can choose well, any film you want, something that doesn't have any sequels or prequels or anything like that. And we've not done it before. And uh, if you'd like, and it's highly encouraged, you can guest on the show. Yeah. And obviously we're fine with doing it over Skype, so you can do it from wherever in the world you mm. are right now. As long as you have internet. Yes. Like the neat saying. <laughs> And once a month also, we will do a 30-second ad slot for anything you want to promote. Now, this can be your own podcast, it could be your own business, it could be somebody else's business, um, could even be a brand new iPhone 7 in matte black. Yeah. So just in case for anybody who this is relevant to, if your motherboard gets a little bit wet for some reason that I'm not going to ask... Um, <laughs> And uh, your phone no longer charges anymore. Well, you can go in and for as, as little as... I think it cost me about 50 quid. As little as 50 quid, you can get yourself a brand new Apple iPhone 7. Well, that was 50 quid to buy out of my current contract and get an early upgrade, which means I'm tied in for another like 24 months. But Terms and conditions may apply. Yes. Right, now on with the show. <laughs> Great, good save. <laughs> so uh, all that's at patreon.com slash set. Yes. Thank you very much. Hi, I'm Mike from the Genuine Chit Chat Podcast, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. I speak to a wide variety of guests, from travellers to musicians, to those afflicted with mental or physical illnesses. There's really no subject that's off-limits, from movies to politics, and even controversial topics ranging from sex to drug reform and political correctness. So if you still believe in the art of conversation, are intrigued by healthy debates with different ideas and perspectives you may not have thought of, and want a podcast where every episode is about something different with a variety of guests, then this may be the podcast for you. You can hear us on YouTube and all your favourite podcast apps, and follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. So if you want to hang out and listen to honest conversations with interesting people, then come to Genuine Chit Chat, where I'm your host, Mike Burton. 
Okay, well, I'm not I'm not sure how this is going to go down, but uh, I don't know, we'll see. Maybe, maybe you can help me with a few bits in this, I'm not sure well. So, in between the original film and this, which is going to be a sequel, okay. about, I guess, 18 years later or whatever. I sure. Well, it's um, 22 years later now, technically. Oh, yeah, my math is wrong. Anyway. Okay, so it's going to be less than that. So, Rod's career has made him and Jerry a lot of money. So much so that they both retired happily about five years later um, to spend more time with their respective families. Oh, how nice. Yeah. So, Rod spent some of the money on a fancy new home, uh, saved a fair bit for his kid's college fund, and put the rest into property investment like a sensible person. Okay. Uh, he's doing really well and is very comfortable amount of money for the rest of his life. So, he's achieved his dream just because he was a, a successful athlete in his prime. Great. So far, no stakes. <laughs> Jerry, on the other hand, oh, okay. has lost most of his money on some very high-stakes bets. Mm-hmm. Turns out he's got a very addictive personality. Okay, yeah. It's no surprise. Not surprising yeah. in the slightest, yeah. So he now has a, a nothing job, which doesn't really matter. He doesn't really care about it, but it pays the bills. So he's like he's just working like a services job like, or something? Something, yeah. Okay. So because of how stressful his job as a sports agent was and how much he abused other people, like his clients and his family, for not paying them enough attention. Um, by the way, he is with René Zellweger. They're still together, yeah, right? Yeah. Cool. yeah, so he's essentially just been banned from doing that job by René Zellweger. Oh, okay, sure. He said, like, you cannot work as a sports agent. That does not work for, for me. It does not work for the family, and it makes you an awful person. Okay, good for her. Yeah. Okay, so Ray, the boy... At this point, he's... This is Jonathan Lipnicki's character, right? Sure, yeah. He is now... He's a bit more grown up and he's in the last year of school. Okay. So I guess that sets the time frame of the film. So if he was four or five in the original, now he's, what, 16, 18? Something like that, yeah. Jonathan Lipnicki's obviously like 27 or something else. I'm guessing are we just going to cast him a bit younger? Yeah, I've not really thought about who that can be. It doesn't matter. No. Let's move through this. Yeah. So he's in the last year of school and he's competing in the school's baseball league. Okay. Um, as obviously the end of the first film kind of set up. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, he, he ends with him like throwing the ball super far and Tom Cruise is like, oh, I can work with this. Mm. And today is the final. So obviously uh, Jerry and Renee are they're in the audience. Sure. Um, while Renee's off getting hot dogs, uh, Jerry starts a conversation uh, with a young man sitting to his left, played by Aaron Paul. Uh, Aaron Paul, okay, mm. from Breaking Bad. Yeah. And as chance would have it, this guy is actually an agent looking for young talent for the state's under-20s baseball team. Oh, uh, Okay. So Jerry is immediately interested as he wants his new son to do well, obviously. Sure. Sorry, Not his, new anymore. Sorry, it's been na- like sorry, 20 years. Sorry, I misread. His now son. His now son. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, Crucial difference. <laughs> to do well. And uh, he knows baseball is like his world. Sure. But uh, everything this guy, Aaron Paul, is saying is wrong. He's mm. clearly just terrible at his job. Like right, okay. And Jerry knows this. Yeah. Jerry can tell that like this guy's got no confidence or whatever. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have class. So Aaron Paul fits. Sure. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so, in secret from Dorothy, Jerry coaches this guy on how to become a good agent. Okay. He gets completely addicted to it. So he takes him on as like a, a mentor-mentee kind of thing? Sort of thing, yeah. Okay. So over the course of the next year, many things happen, and after a while, Jerry betrays this guy a few times. Um, he shaves his head, grows a moustache. Um, Jerry even, has? Yes, and uh, even wears a hat from time to time. Hope you can see where this is going now. He shaved his head. His business cards are all blue. And as he gets deeper and deeper into this deception from his wife, the drama starts to really pick up. Until eventually, after a few murders by Jerry, his wife finds out and he runs away to the forest to come up with a master plan. Which also involves the rescue of, of Aaron Paul from some Mexican gangsters who've imprisoned him and are making him work for them for free. I'd have no idea what you could possibly be referencing here. <laughs> <laughs> And so after uh, reconciling with his family, Jerry eventually saves Aaron from the gangsters and somehow dies in the process, and that's pretty much the end. Okay, so it's Breaking Bad, but instead of meth, the addiction is just to management. Yeah, I guess, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I mean, it's, it, it, it's a route. <laughs> <laughs> I called it Breaking Jerry Maguire. Breaking Jerry Maguire, okay. I mean, you got me thinking out, if Tom Cruise was to shave his head... What would he look like? <laughs> yeah, what would he look a bit like Brian Cranston? I don't know. Like if you and would... if you like laid off the Botox for a year or something, like, <laughs> what would come out of that at the end? Like, <laughs> he'd just melt. He'd fall he, apart. He probably would. Yeah, but like the Wicked Witch of the West. Fascinating. I mean, I do think that Tom Cruise works best as a villain. Is that the idea that he's playing a villain? 
Like, it even says the in, in the same way that Brian Cranston in Breaking Bad is playing a villain. Sure. You know, even though he's the main character, he's still kind of the villain of the piece. Sure. Um, so yeah, Tom Cruise is, I guess, doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, it, one thing leads to another. The whole thing gets very out of hand. Sure. That's the theme of this, at least. So he goes from teaching Aaron Paul how to be an agent. Mm-hmm. How does that then go into the gangland scenario? Maybe he becomes the best agent. Yeah. And Aaron Paul does. Or they both do together. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they both do together. and uh, Like, as a team, I guess. Sure. And uh, they're getting all the good players, and uh, for whatever reason, they're... Well, I guess it doesn't need, doesn't need to be gangsters, but it works well. And the parallel is to have it as Mexican gangsters, as, as in the drug cartel. Sure. Or the equivalent of they want all the good all the good players, so that, yeah. I guess, Mexico can do well in the Olympics. I don't know. <laughs> the Olympics <laughs> of American football. Yeah, sure. Okay. Or well, it's not, all about, it's not all about American football. He's, he was a general sports agent. Sure, 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 yeah. Okay, cool. So that's that. That's, uh, I struggled this week. No, it's fine. Uh, I've, I've, I've had a lot going on. I've moved house twice. It's been very stressful. Well, once and a half times. Yeah. I won't go into it, but it's very stressful. It's okay. Do you want, do you want some news that might make you happy? Maybe. You always look so scared when I say that. Because <laughs> I really don't think it will. <laughs> this is the closest we've come in a while to having the exact same idea. Okay. Yeah. I went in a very similar route. Okay. Because, yeah, so my sequel, I guess, are you done? Yeah. Okay, so my sequel is called Jerry's Game. Okay. And I see where that's going already. Yeah, it's directed by Steven Soderbergh. Mm-hmm. I, I got it got me thinking, like because because I was like really obsessed with the idea that everyone on this film was like really high on cocaine all the time, and mm. it re- did really make me yearn for a version of this film that was a little bit grittier mm-hmm. and that really like dug into that and to like you know let the characters be a bit more dark and wasn't just so fluffy and rom commy. Steven Soderbergh, what does he do? He directed Molly's Game. Did he? I could swear that that was. Oh, have I mixed up the wrong people? I don't mean Steven Soderbergh, do I? Oh, I've forgotten his name, but Newsroom, The Social Network, Steve That's Jobs. what I mean. Aaron Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin. Okay, forget Steven Soderbergh. I meant yeah. Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, yeah, that's really what I thought you were going with. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> who's Steven Soderbergh? Steven Soderbergh. Although Steven Soderbergh also does like films in this vein. He did um, Out of Sight and Aaron Brokovich. Okay, I've not seen it, but yeah, sure. In fact, you know what? This film was written by Aaron Sorkin and directed by Steven Soderbergh. I'm sure. bringing them together. Okay. Which I think they've done before. Yeah. And it opens 20 years later, so mm. present day. Yeah. We open on Jerry Maguire in prison, <gasps> serving time. Ooh. And it being Aaron Sorkin, there's going to be a voiceover. And there's a voiceover in the first film, to be fair. So Jerry Maguire does a voiceover in prison. He's like, I bet you're wondering how I went from top of the world to serving time. Mm-hmm. And, um, I am wondering. You're wondering, yeah. Mm. So, and then it's going to flash back, and he's, through the medium of like voiceover and flashback scenes, we're going to discover. Mm-hmm. So... We're flashing back to like 1996, maybe a couple of years after. So after successfully negotiating Rod's contract, that's the Cuba Gooding Jr.'s contract, Jerry is back on top. He signs a number of additional major sports stars and soon he's the CEO of a thriving agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, at first, he tries to stick to his mission statements about focusing on fewer clients and more love. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but his client, he finds that his clients actually have very high expectations and he discovers that delivering round-the-clock supports to demanding millionaires is actually a tw- kind of a 24-hour job. Mm-hmm. So I think we should have like a montage of like famous sports stars just being really arseholes. <laughs> like who, who do you think would play a good like arsehole sports star? Like a pampered millionaire sports star who's going to be causing him no end of grief? Bex. David Beckham? Yeah. Interesting cameo. I mean, is, does he still play? Isn't he like 50 now? Oh, wait, you ask him someone who plays still like... No, I'm asking for like, I mean, actors the- who can play sports stars. I mean, we could have cameos by actual sports stars, mm. but you could just as easily have actors playing sports stars. Okay, sure. Oh, I wouldn't know that many famous sports stars. No, never do I. Let's have Wayne Rooney. I don't think he plays anymore. Played by Daniel, play? Daniel Craig. That's a weird combination <laughs> of names. I'm just thinking of two people who both look like a potato. Sure, so. okay. Well, I was thinking you'd get like Army Hammer could play a good sports star because he's like big and beefy. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But yeah, I just think you could have a few people playing like arsehole sports stars who are just mm-hmm. giving him all this grief about wanting their contracts and their millions, etc. Yeah. So all his time at work is obviously going to be affecting his relationship with Dorothy and Ray. Yeah. Renee and Jonathan. So his marriage is starting to fall apart a little bit. Also at this point, there's no question about it that he is absolutely consuming enormous quantities of cocaine on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing that now. Like We're not soft focusing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he starts to burn out a little bit. So you know, he's on top, but he's burning out. And several of his biggest clients end up threatening to leave him after he fails to successfully negotiate major contracts for them. Mm-hmm. So faced with watching his life fall apart once again, he starts resorting to 
increasingly unethical practices to keep his clients on side. Mm-hmm. So it starts with a little bit of light bribery here and there to get the contracts through. And then it descends into blackmail and intimidation. Mm-hmm. So within a few years, he's deeply involved with the mafia. This is where we're kind of close to your idea. Yeah. Where he's using hired goons to threaten rival agents and players alike. So I think we're going to like repurpose a lot of the famous quotes in the first film and make them a lot darker. Nice. So for example, help me help you. That's now something he's going to say when he's threatening to have like a young player kneecapped if they don't sign to his agency. Okay. Like, so help me help you or I will kneecap you. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Dorothy's having kind of a Skylar White arc where initially she's kind of trying to be, you know, the voice of reason and she just wants him to be the best man he can be. Mm-hmm. But as their marriage gets cold, she becomes obsessed with like the millionaire lifestyle. Mm. You know, they're really rich now and she's actually quite enjoying the trappings of being a, you know, a wealthy stay-at-home wife and mother. Yeah. And so that, that makes her quite cold and materialistic. Meanwhile, Rory, the, the little kid, Jonathan Lipnicki, grows up to be a terrible spoiled brat who gets kicked out of several schools for bullying and violence, costing his parents a fortune in tuition fees and putting further pressure on their marriage. Mm-hmm. Also, Rod, Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character, mm. uh, he's become a superstar at this point. He's aging out of the game. He's reaching the end of his professional days. But his charisma and his larger-than-life personality have made him hugely popular with on and off the pitch. So he's a big, like, he's a TV personality now. He's, everyone yeah. loves him. And his, multi, his multi-million dollar endorsement deals, including his own line of Quan merchandise, <laughs> are now a critical part of Jerry's income. Mm-hmm. But he's kind of retained his good nature and his sense of what's right and wrong. Mm. So throughout the film, he's going to be like Jerry's conscience. Okay. He's going to try and steer him back to the right path and tell him to just, you know, just remember his, remember his quan, I guess. Mm. Remember his, remember, remember the values that he sets out with. But he never realises how far Jerry's already fallen. Jerry's going to be hiding his identity from this guy. Yeah. Rod doesn't know that Jerry's really immersed in like the mafia and he's addicted to cocaine and all this kind of stuff. He's, he's, he's hidden some of that from, from him and from his family. Mm-hmm. Much like, you know, much like Walter White, you know, he's living a double life. We know we both went to the Breaking Bad route for this. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Jerry's trying to maintain this nice guy image while also hiding his monstrous behaviour. Mm. One day, he secures a particularly big deal with a client and he decides to come home early from work to celebrate. Yeah. So he comes back home and he finds Dorothy in bed with Chad the nanny, who's still around for some reason. Mm-hmm. And this sends him onto a complete spiral. He completely unravels. He goes on a massive bender. He realises that all his hard work, all these years of, you know, chipping away at his self-esteem and his, his ethics and, you know, becoming this person he doesn't even like anymore, just to keep this family together, he realises was all for nothing because he's already let his family fall apart. Yeah, yeah. And it gets so bad that this, this just pushes him even further down the, the life of crime. So he starts taking even bigger risks. His drug addiction spirals out of control. He's drinking too much, all this kind of stuff. And eventually it gets to a point where Rod figures everything out. Cuba Gooding Jr. figures everything out and there's going to be some kind of climax scene where Cuba Gooding Jr. is going to confront him and is going to say you know you're not the person I remember you being anymore you've sold out completely I quit I'm out wow okay so he is Jerry's number one client he relies on him financially and he's and he's now quitting he's like I, I can't work with you anymore you're too far gone and mm-hmm. he quits and it's, it's going to end like with Jerry Maguire just like on, on his ruined kingdom mm-hmm. just like you know his life is over mm-hmm. and then we found out he went to prison for gangland crimes and just wow okay. generally a monster just oh yeah it's the first time I've gone dark this dark in a while but yeah um, yeah and it's been a while actually yeah, yeah. it's refreshing yeah it feels like it feels- <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean as you can probably tell I kind of ran out of ideas towards the end there like, I was like how do I wrap this up like uh, but yeah I like the idea of it having like a Breaking Bad meets kind of Scarface meets kind of mm. yeah you know, just uh, the first film's him rising to the top, and this film's going to be the, the horrible come down, the horrible cynical come okay, down. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So that's my idea. Very good. Okay. So we get some listeners' submissions. That's the plan. So I have a drinking game for you. Mm. This week's drinking game is drink every time somebody repurposes a quote from the original film. Ah, solid. Make solid. It, especially right. if there's a pun involved. Double drink if there's a pun involved. Double drink if there's a pun. Involved. Well, they're all yeah. puns, so. Ready when you are. Okay. So Kevin Gray says, show me the honey. There we go. Starring Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> nice. A Winnie the Pooh, Jerry Maguire story. Mm-hmm. Joe Herman says, show me the Bitcoin. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> How many of these are there? You asked for this. A Sobi de Tora said, you had me at, insert emoji here. Mm. <laughs> one bottle down. Yep. There we are. Kyle Davidson says, 
Jerry sees the money, is underwhelmed, spends two hours working on a new catchphrase. See, there's no pun there. Mike Carey. Nice fresh bottle. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Mike Carey? Mike Carey said, Rod Tidwell, Snow Dog. So after retiring from professional sports, Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character Rod has become an award-winning actor, Mm. a.k.a. Cuba Gooding Jr., I guess. Um, But despite his charisma and talent, he's finding it hard to get the roles he wants. Fortunately, his old agent, Jerry Maguire, has a plan. Okay. So I guess that's a spin on the fact that so Cuba Gooding Jr. won an Oscar after winning this film, flawless film, mm. but then he really struggled to find other decent roles. Mm. Like he really, for an Oscar winner, didn't do a lot else. And it's only no, recently... I really don't know him for much no. other than American Crime Story. Well, the reason this film's called Snow Dog is he did a really famously bad film called Snow Dogs. Yeah. Okay. Among other just forgettable, terrible films. He didn't do a lot. But now he's back with American Crime Story. Now he's having a bit of a comeback. And yeah. Good for him, but yeah. He had a real, like, 20-year wilderness period in between. Mm. Uh, John Scrafini says, You complete me. Again. <laughs> Tess Sullivan said, This is more of a spin-off, but can we have something about Bonnie Hunt and the Divorced Women's Club? Because I would watch the shit out of that. Yeah, man, yeah. that'd be great. So they are their own film. Mm-hmm. I feel like they had their own film going on and we were just kind of, like, seeing glimpses of it. Would each... Well, I'm saying each episode as though it's a TV show. Would it all just be in that one room? Like, would they just constantly be sitting around in a circle, just bitching about men? I mean, it's like Orange is the New Black, and we'll see little flashbacks of all of their ah, reasons. Ah, there we go. Yeah. What made them so bitter? Mm-hmm. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Okay. Hoover Wind said, the McQuengers. I'm not sure what that refers to. Maybe you can fill me in on this. I understand the premise of the sequel. I don't know what the title means, the McQuengers. So Sounds like... It's going for the Avengers. Like Maguire, Avengers, McQuengers. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. It's Jerry Maguire, Avengers. So basically, and that makes sense. So it's a sports agent, a vampire, a mummy, a fighter pilot, a Vietnam vet, mm-hmm. a man with Groundhog's Day style powers, a spy, and a bartender must unite to stop the global threat of psychology. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, I would watch the shit out of that. So would I. <laughs> Aaron A. Aronson said Terry Maguire. Wait, the- just pause a sec. Aaron A. Aronson. Yeah. How many A's are in that name? Five. That's a good amount of A's for a name. That is solid naming. Yeah, his parents did well there. I've only got two. Yeah. (laughs) You suck this this week. (laughs) Sorry, you've only got one. I do. I I never considered it. Loser. I never considered it a problem until now. (laughs) (laughs) Aaron A. Aronson says Terry Maguire, but with a two for the T. Love it. Love it. I, I, I love a creatively placed two. Yes. I wonder if Terry Maguire's going to be his son then, or who knows. Anyway. He's got that kind of an ego, I think. Yeah. Uh, Will Buckingham says, turns out she doesn't complete him. (laughs) Fair. Over on Twitter, the contrarians, at Contrarian Prime, Mm. Ray Boyd Maguire, as predicted by Jerry, little Ray, as in Jonathan Lipnicki's character, Mm. grows up to be a fantastic baseball player, but one who seems to prefer Bob Sugar's cold-blooded managing style over that of his stepfather's. Can Jerry retain his most important client again and keep his family together? Mm. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. So his son's getting seduced by this evil... Bring back Bob Sugar, Mm -hmm. who's seducing his own adopted son. I like it. Okay. At one Aussie nerd, Jerry Maguire is visited by his cousin Lizzie Maguire... (laughs) Remember the Hilary Duff? Oh dear. And he takes her to teach his philosophy as they hang out together. So, Okay. Yes, it's a Jerry Maguire, Lizzie Maguire crossover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. False Starts podcast at False Starts pod. Jerry Maguire 2, show me the mummy. Man, that's good. (laughs) Older Tom Cruise travels back in time, as the top Scientologists can, but they don't tell anyone. (laughs) And makes Jerry watch The Mummy and enlist his services to make sure he, he never actually makes it. <laughs> <laughs> Only a couple more now. Uh, Bloatbusters, at Bloatbusters. Jerry Maguire 2, show mm. me mo money. Show me... Show yeah. me mo money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Jerry yeah. falls on hard times. Take, take a drink for that. Go for it. Jerry falls <laughs> on hard times and becomes a pimp. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Uh, at, you know, you've, you've, you've got you've to gotta do what you got to do for your kid. You do, exactly. Make that money. At Gidget Von LaRue says, Rod has gone on to massive success. Cuba Gooding Jr. again. Jerry's agency is doing really well, but Jerry gets a super talented player who is reckless and ego-filled, and he must bring in Rod to guide him, a bit like Bull Durham. So Jerry's still a, a, an agent, and yeah, he needs to bring Rod in as a mentor to a new, younger sports star. Okay. So it brings all the whole gang back together. Mm-hmm. And finally, 
Cinema Recall, at cinema underscore recall. Jerry's latest client is Ethan Hunt from Mission Impossible, right? Yeah. Who needs a new agency for IMF. When the bad guys mistake Maguire for Hunt, they will complete each other with vengeance for the bad guys. Interesting. Yes, I like it. I like it. Cool. So, those are our sequel ideas for Jerry Maguire. Um, uh, Oh, sorry. I've got one myself, but I will admit I did kind of use this as the basis for my idea. Um, So a friend of mine on Facebook, Phil Better, said, uh, The kid from the first one is about to enter the NFL, draft ranked and in top three. Jerry, having retired from the sports agent business, is trying to enjoy his stepson's big day, but something pulls him back into the game to be the best. Very good. That's where I got my inspiration from. I should just, yeah. Cool. So those are our Jerry Maguire sequel ideas. Mm Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, guys. If you have any sequel ideas for Jerry Maguire or any films we've done in the past, please let us know. We are Beyond the Box Set. You can find us at beyondtheboxset.com. Our podcast is available on all good podcasting platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, anywhere you want. Hopefully, if there is a podcast network there, we are on it. You can also find us on social media at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search Beyond the Box Set or at Beyond the Box Set on Twitter. You can also support us on Patreon, as Harry mentioned. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Beyond the Box Set. We have merchandise at Public, And if you really like the show, leave us a review. It really helps us out. Mm-hmm. And next week, Harry, is it your turn? It is my turn. Right, John, you've got a choice here. Okay. So, Ooh, interesting. Um, both of these films are crazy and ridiculous. Mm-hmm. They're both very different genres. Sure. So it's up to you. Would you like something that is, it's a horror film? Okay. Or would you like a animated comedy? I'm going to go for the... I'm picking both of these at some point. At some it's, point, It's sure. just, which one do you want next? I'm always here for a questionably bad horror film, so I'm going to go okay. with a questionably bad horror film. Questionably bad horror film. All right. So next week, uh, we'll be doing the film Drag Me to Hell. Ooh, okay. So enjoy that. Um, the name alone, I'm excited. Mm. Have you seen it before? I have, yes. I watched it back in high school when it was in the cinema. Oh, okay. Of all the cinema releases I went to see, that was <laughs> the one. I had to travel like like 50 miles to the nearest cinema. Wow. Yeah. Well, I hope it's it was like worth a- it. <laughs> oh, it was great. It was a good time. Did it with my school friends. It was it was nice. It was fun. It was, it was a good memory. Good memory. Anyway. You've got, you've got, some, um, you've, you've got a lot of reverie in this episode. You've, you've, well, I'm quite drunk right now. Okay, fine. So there's that. Yes, do enjoy this film. Um, don't expect much from it. Too late. I'm, my expectations are already set as high as they Have you go. seen Justin Long in anything? Yes. The guy from the Mac PC adverts. Yeah, I've seen him in another questionable horror film that unfortunately we can't do, which is Jeepers, Jeepers Creepers. Creepers. Yes. <laughs> have you seen that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wait, well, I think, yeah, I've not seen that. I just lied to you. This is weird. I'm going to make you watch Jeepers Creepers. It won't work on the podcast, but someday. Yeah. It's very funny. We'll get there. Unintentionally, yeah. Anyway, so that's that. Okay. Cool. So join us next week for Drag Me to Hell. Mm -hmm. Interesting choice. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye. Bye.